0: This morning, we're gonna continue the series of fullness and talking about the, the great words of our faith. As pastor has continued today, we're gonna to focus on the word confession, the, the idea of confession. Uh, in your bulletin, there's a little card that gives a definition for it. I wanna read really quickly. We'll pray and then we'll get into the text. Uh, your card should define confession as follows. It's defined as words and action of life that confirm salvation within the present context of community, while in the midst of conflict. We are citizens of a kingdom that is at war with this world. Father, this morning we come to you in the sweet name of Jesus. We ask for your mercy. We ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to come and Just as you said that he would be our teacher, that you will teach us things that are not even verbally spoken, but the spirit of the living God will speak to us in these moments through your word. And we pray for your help. We pray for your anointing and your presence in Christ's name. Amen, amen, and amen. As we look to the book of Romans um, written by Paul... um, you know, it is a very theologically dense book, okay? There's a lot of doctrine, there's a, there's a lot of systematized way that he goes through things, a lot of big words that need help and definition. And if we're not careful, sometimes we can approach the book of Romans as like a dissertation, you know, whereas uh, some type of instruction manual that we have to go through and piece out the things and, and make it, and though, it's, though it's incredibly rich theologically, I think it's important for us to be reminded that when Paul's writing the book of Romans, he's not even writing a book, okay? Uh, he is not trying to create this, this, uh, this incredibly dense document that people have to mull through. That's not what he's doing at all. What Paul is trying to do is he's trying to pastor a group of people that live in Rome. That's what he's doing. He's writing a letter trying to affirm their faith, trying to encourage them to continue to fight the good fight. Um, What we believe about the people who Paul is writing to, uh, many historians think that uh, the people were actually in, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And when the Spirit of God came, they converted from Judaism to Christianity. And then when they went back home, they settled in Rome, but there was just a small group of them. And, and uh, you know, in a situation like that, they didn't really have any instruction. They didn't really know uh, how to grow in their faith outside of Judaism. And so Paul writes them letters. This is what we see in all the letters of the New Testament. And so Paul is affirming them as he writes, just trying to pastor them really, really well. And so oftentimes what you'll see, is we're going to see in this text right here, is that sometimes Paul's passion comes through. Sometimes you can, you can see him really come alive about certain elements that he's writing about, and, and you will see just the, the, the passion bleed through the text. And I believe this is what you're going to see right here. Paul is, is teaching in Romans chapter 10. And he's helping them understand what it means to come to faith in Christ. He's trying to help them understand the process and all that transpires in it. And this is what he says beginning in verse 9. He says, if you declare or if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess or you confess your faith and are saved. If uh, you have ever been in a very serious romantic relationship, uh, or maybe you're married, you don't even have to be married, but if you've ever been in a relationship that, you know, it's going the distance, you probably remember the moment that you confessed your love to that other person, okay? let me just say this, if you're here today and you don't remember that moment and you're sitting next to your spouse, just kinda, just smile and wait, okay? (laughs) Have that conversation later. I promise you it's coming, okay, at lunch. I've just set you up, okay? You probably remember the moment where you had the conversation, where you confessed your love. You said, I love you. I remember uh, my wife, Joy, we got married very young. Uh, We will celebrate 22 years this year and incredibly thankful for it. Um, But I remember, uh, I remember uh, just, just a few short months into our dating relationship, maybe three or four months. And I knew I, I had just had such conviction that God had set this woman in my life. I was going to marry her and we were going to be together forever. And I was coming to the moment where I was like, I need to tell her this. I need, to, I need to confess my love to her. I need her to understand where I'm at. And if you've ever been in that process where you're the first person to make that statement, you know the stress, the anxiety that comes in a moment like that, because what you understand is that there are so many variables. There are so many things that could go wrong, right? But there's only one thing that can go right. And that's if they reciprocate, if they confess, if they say the same thing that you have said, that's the only way that it can go right. And so I remember leading up to this moment, I had told Joy a few days leading up that, you know, there was something I wanted to talk to her about. And um, this was before texting and all this kind of stuff. And so when I would see her or she would call, we'd end our conversation she would say, you know, are are you going to talk to me or whatever? And I said, yeah, I'm going to talk to you. And I just wasn't, you know, I was ready, but I wasn't ready. I was too afraid because I thought this could either be a new beginning or this is going to be the end, right? (laughs) And I remember one afternoon she had uh, come over to the house after work and we had spent time together and so... At the end of the evening, I was walking her to her car, and um, as we got to her car, she said, well, you know, are you going to tell me what you've been wanting to talk to me about, you know? And uh, I remember just mustering the courage, just summoning the courage in the moment, and uh, I I kind of, you know, I grabbed her arms, and I I grabbed her hand, and I said, I said, baby, I just, I I want you to know I'm in love with you. I love you, and uh, it is, and and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And she looked at me, and she said, oh, no. No, I'm kidding. She didn't say that at all. She didn't say that. She didn't say that. She didn't say that, that, right? She reciprocated what I had just said, and she said, I love you, too, and I hope we get to spend the rest of our lives together. It's going to be incredible. But what I found in that moment, and you probably experienced this, too, is that when I confessed my love to her and she confessed her love to me, when I said something and she said the same thing, when we came into an alignment, there's a certain dynamic that shifted in our relationship. All of a sudden, dating went to another level and we were no longer just thinking about dating. Now we were thinking about marriage. We were thinking about kids. We were thinking about the future something fundamentally shifted in our relationship there was um it's inexplicable but there's there's this type of bonding um there was there was a strengthening of our relationship that happened when we began to say the same thing to one another especially revolving around the idea of love and this is what the the concept of confession is all about okay um, you have, you've heard pastor teach on the word homolegeo, right? The, the Greek word homolegeo, what it means is to say the same word, to say the same thing, to fall into agreement, to say the same thing that someone else is saying, right? And so, um, you know, there, there are these moments where um, we can be in relationship with someone and we can say something that is similar, but it's not the same right? So my conversation with Joy, right, if I would have gone and said, baby, I love you, and she would have said, oh, I like you so much, that's not the same, right? Um, if you've ever been in a restaurant, my son Easton, he, his favorite beverage is Dr. Pepper, okay? It's just his all-time favorite. So when we go to restaurants oftentimes, he'll try to order a Dr. Pepper and you know, probably five times out of 10, the waiter or waitress will come back to him and she'll say, oh, I'm sorry, um, we don't have Dr. Pepper. Um, would you like root beer? And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, that's not the same thing. That's not even close. You might as well say, oh, we don't have, you know, Dr. Pepper, would you like a margarita? We have, th- that's not even close. <laughs> it's not even something similar. And so when we talk about the idea of confession and homo it's not saying something different. It's not even saying something similar. It's saying the same thing that God says about a particular issue. And so today what we want to do is we want to unpack a little bit um, two areas, two specific areas where the Father instructs us that we must homologeo, as he says, that we must say the same thing that he says about these two different issues. The first issue is concerning our sin. The second issue is concerning our faith. Now, what's fascinating about this is that even if you believe what God says about your sin and you believe what God says about your faith, God throws in a a curveball to us and he says, listen, even if you believe that, I need you to say that. There has to be a moment of confession where you verbally express the same thing that God says about my sin and the same thing that God says about my faith. And so, As we begin to talk about homo with the the topic of sin, we realize that this is broken into a couple different parts, okay? Um, There is a confession, an original confession of our sin that we make before we come to faith in Christ. There's There's something that happens before we come to faith in Christ. But then there's another type of confession that happens after we come to faith in Christ, It's part of our sanctification. It's part of us going from glory to glory to glory. It's as we walk out the Christian life, we realize that we're going to sin, that we're going to miss the mark, that we're going to fall short. And God says, as you walk out the Christian life, when when it comes to your sin, I need you to call your sin what I call your sin, right? Now, before faith in Christ, the whole idea is this, God, I am a despicable sinner, I'm without hope, I have nothing to build upon, I'm broken, I'm desperate, I have nothing outside of Jesus. That's what I say about my sin right now. Why? Because it's what God says about my sin right now. And so um, we we read things like the Apostle John, this is what he says, he says, if we confess our sins, in other words, if we homo our sins, if we say the same thing about our sin, that God says he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you homo with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you say the same thing about Jesus that God says about Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And instantly when we do that, when we call our sin what God calls our sin on this side of salvation, there's something that transpires and we are regenerated. When we repent and you know, do all the things that pastor has been you know, talking about the past couple of weeks, in that moment, salvation comes. We are regenerated, there's a new birth, we are filled with the spirit, there is, there is this new life that exudes forth, right? Uh, Paul would say, look, when this happens, at that point, there's no more condemnation for you, there's no more shame for you, there's no more guilt because you are in Christ Jesus. The psalmist would say, God has removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. And so I wanna be clear when I say this, on this side, when, when we repent and when we confess our sin in the way that God calls our sin, we are covered in the blood of Jesus. We are kept, you guys, we are our, our eternal, we are secure in Jesus in this moment. But as we grow in the image of Christ, there is an ongoing confession of our sin that has to transpire. It has to take place as we walk through this life. And so, again, uh, taking from the Apostle John the same scripture, if we confess our sin, it applies before Christ and it applies after Christ. If we homiligeo our sin in this moment, if we call it what it is, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Here's the trigger point. We must call our sin what God calls our sin. This is hard for us, okay? This is hard for me. Coming to the Father and saying, Father, I wasn't completely honest today is not the same thing as saying, Father, I've lied. Do you understand the difference? And I understand, I mean, I know this is very nuanced, but there is a difference between these things because one of these things understands the destructive nature, the gravity, the depravity of the sin that I have committed and the other is just trying to soften the sin, right? And so God says, look, I want you to come. I'm gonna cover you. I am gonna, I am going to grow you through even your own sin. I am gonna help you, but you gotta come clean. You've got to take off the mask. You've got to call it what it is, right? It's, it's different. It, it, it's, it's similar, but it's not the same, right? Um, a woman may come to the father and say, Father, I, I have slipped up again with a man who is not my husband. Is not the same thing as saying, Father, I've committed adultery. I have violated the sacred institution of marriage. I have, I have welcomed destruction and sin into my home, and I desperately need your forgiveness. Do you, under, do you see the difference of what I'm talking about? One of these is not like the other. They are similar, but they're not the same, and this is what God requires. He says, listen, when you come to me and confess, I'm gonna give you all the mercy you need. I'm gonna pour out grace more than you can contain, but you gotta call sin what I call sin. Yeah. And so we've got to come to a place where we begin to say the same thing that God says as we come to confession of our sin. But the reality is, and and something kind of interesting, is that when God says that we must homo our sin to the Father, He also says that we must confess our sins one to another, right? So uh, the brother of Jesus, James, this is what he says. He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed okay? Um, I've said for years that Protestant Christians, we, we are a Protestant church, okay? There's Protestant and then there's uh, Catholic. Uh, we are a Protestant church. And I've said for years that, that we do a really good job about confessing our sin to the Father, right? But we also do a really good job about hiding our sin from one another, okay? Like, like we, may, we may confess certain levels of our sinful activity to a brother or a sister, but it stops somewhere, right? We're not going to be completely vulnerable in those situations. The Catholic Church is kind of the opposite. They're really good about confessing their sin to a priest, right? But struggle when it comes to confessing their sin to the Father. The interesting thing is that the New Testament demands both. He doesn't say, just come and confess your sin to God, the Father, but come and confess your sin one to another. And as you do that, there is a cleansing that transpires. There's a bonding. When you say the same thing that God says about your sin to God, there's a bonding in the spirit, but there's also a bonding in the body of Christ. As you share your fallenness with brothers and sisters that that are trustworthy, that are noble people, There's, there's a bonding that happens. And here's the thing, it's so important to understand. The purpose of this confession is not exposure. That is not what God's after in this. The purpose of our confession to the Lord and to others is healing. And I think that sometimes, especially if we are people who are prone to sinful activity or certain habits that we just feel like we can't break, there comes a certain point where we feel like if we bring this again to the Father, it's just a record, a broken record, playing again, the same old thing, no change, the same old thing. But listen to me, the Father can handle that. And I wanna remind you this morning that there's nothing that you can confess that will make God love you less. There is nothing that you can confess to the Father that will cause Him to love you less. And I just wanna remind us as the church that the same should be true for us. When our brothers and sisters come to us and they have fallen, short, they missed the mark, there needs to be a moment where we listen and we receive and we pray, but our perspective of those people don't change. They have entrusted us with the most vulnerableness of their human soul, and they've come to us trusting this, and we as the church have to step up. As Paul said, gently restore those who have fallen, right? And so there needs to be a safety among the people of God as people come to confess their sin. And so we must homologeo. we must confess the same thing that God says about our sin to the Father and to one another, okay? But we also have to confess, there's a confession that talks about the state of our condition, okay, in the faith. One part of this is a confession that reminds me of my past, right? And, and nobody like, I know some of you guys are like, I'm out of here. I hate this. I don't want to talk about my past. And, and I understand that, okay? But, but, but stay with me for a couple of minutes. This is not going to be very encouraging the next like two and a half minutes. But if you'll just hang on, I promise it's coming, okay? I am a firm believer coming from a very troubled past. I am a firm believer that I cannot fully appreciate the grace that God has given me until I understand the judgment that my sin deserves. Understand what I'm saying? There's a moment for me where I feel like I can't fully appreciate where God is taking me until I remember that from which I've come from. And listen to me, again, I know this isn't, you know, feel good this is unpopular but listen to me we need to be reminded we are a broken humanity we are we are depraved and we are wretched and we are wicked and we have rebelled against the creator god and it's only through his grace only through his grace that he has strengthened and pulled us up out of that and set us to another place but we have to be a people that are reminded of these things so that we can value and appreciate our future where we are and and where we're going. The Apostle Paul does this. Um, I call it the progression of Paul. Um, If you look at the books of the New Testament in chronological order, Galatians is one of the first books that we have, if not the first book that we have of the New Testament um, in chronological order. Paul, as he writes this first letter just, you know, soon after his conversion to Christ, there's almost, there's almost a hint of arrogance in Paul's language, okay? Like, if you read the New Testament, a lot of Paul's writings, it, there's a lot of bragging going on. He's like, well, remember when I did this, and who, this is who I was, and this is who I know? I mean, it's just this, uh, this, this vomiting of how amazing Paul is. But this is what you begin to see as time goes on, As Paul spiritually develops and he spiritually matures, this is what you find. When Paul opens up in the book of Galatians, you know, assuming the, the first book that he wrote, the first letter, this is the way that he identifies himself. He says, I am Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he was, there's no argument there, right? He was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. A few years go by and Paul begins to write a letter to the church at Corinth. And all of a sudden, Paul's not describing himself as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now when he describes himself, he says, I am the least of the apostles. At first, he was an apostle. Now he's like, I I know my place. I'm I'm the least of the apostles. A little bit more time goes by. A little bit more maturity happens. By the time we get to Ephesians, Paul is no longer calling himself an apostle of Christ He's no longer even calling himself the least of the apostles. Now he's saying, listen, I'm the least of all the saints. Like, I know my place better now that I am the least of all the saints of God. And by the time that we get to the end of Paul's life, in the books of First and 2 Timothy, he's, he's in prison. He's writing to his protege, Timothy. By the time we get to the end of Paul's life, he is not identifying himself as an apostle or the least of the apostles or even the least of the saints. Listen to how he identifies himself. He says, Timothy, I am the chief of all sinners. Do you understand what's happening in this moment? Paul is fulfilling this trajectory that takes him from a place where he is becoming less so that Christ can become more. He's not beating himself down, nor should we. Right? I'm not saying you need to remember where you come from and stay in that place and, and, and sulk a little bit and, and you know, beat yourself. That is not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying in order for us to understand where we're going and to truly value and appreciate it, we've got to come to this place of confession where we realize truly where we are in the depth of our brokenness. Listen to me. The Lord would do this with the children of Israel all throughout the Old Testament. I mean from Exodus through Malachi, the Lord dozens of times. This is what he would say. He would say, children, I want to remind you that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He would say, I need you to remember where you've come from and remember who brought you out of that. I want you to relish in where you are right now, but friend, don't ever forget where you came from and who brought you out. Paul echoes the same type of thing. Um, Paul is talking to the Corinthians in one of his letters, and he's, he's teaching them about sin and salvation, and this is what he says. He says, you know that those who indulge in sexual sin or those who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality, or, or thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or those who cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And this is what he says. He says, and some of you were once like that. This is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you know about people who were outside of Christ. You know they do this and that and the other, and you know that they're not gonna inherit the kingdom of God, but I want you to remember some of you were like that at one point too. And this is where the shift happens, and we go from a place of remembering where we are to thanking God for where he's brought us to. This is what Paul says. He continues this sentiment. He says, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And so, listen to me. All I'm saying is this. There needs to be a confession that reminds us of our past, but also a confession that reminds us of our future. There needs to be a place where we come to the Lord and we remember that we were once broken, but now we're made whole. Father, I was so lost without you, but I thank you that Jesus found me. God, I remember what it was like being a sinner, but I thank you, God, that I'm now a saint. And I remember what it was like having an orphan spirit and being an orphan, but I thank you, God, that I'm now a son or a daughter of the Most High God. That, my friends, is homo That is God saying, I remember your past and you need to call your past what I'm calling your past. But friends, don't forget that I also am calling your future something that I need you to call your future. Remind yourself of the goodness of God and where he has brought you from, and where he's bringing you to. And so, as we wrap up this part, this is the place where we go from, from, uh, you know, homo about our sin, and now we're going to shift for a few moments, and we're going to talk about homo regarding our faith, or in other words, um, the things that we believe, okay? I want to talk to you for a few minutes about what I call corporate confessions, Okay, this is the um, uh, this is the idea that we are all saying the same thing about what we believe. The most core level of what we believe as Christians, we have to homo with each other. We have to make sure that we are on the same page saying the same thing. And before, you know, we begin talking about, you know, different creeds and stuff like that, some people like creeds, that is just weird. Listen, let me remind you for a moment. Um, The confessions I'm going to talk about, the verbal affirmations, these are not new to the Christian faith. As a matter of fact, their roots are found in Judaism. Um, You remember in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, you remember there's, there's a prayer That for all Jews, they are commanded to pray the, it's called the Shema. They are commanded to pray the Shema in their rising up in the morning and in their laying down at night. They are commanded to homolegeo. As As a Jewish community, and even still today, the Jewish community, they homolegeo. They say the Shema they confess the same thing when they rise and they confess the same thing as they go to rest at night. Um, in the book of Leviticus, we have Aaron who is a priest and um, you know, this was way before Christ and you know, they, God dealt with sin very differently than he deals with sin today. And, and they would bring a goat to Aaron and Aaron would go and lay his hands on the goat And he would give a congregational confession of the sins of the nation for the last year. And God somehow, supernaturally, he would transfer the sins of the people through this corporate confession. Transfer the sins onto the goat. They would send the goat into the wilderness. This is where we get the term scapegoat. Okay? They they would send the goat into the wilderness and their sins would be covered. But why? Because there was a corporate confession that, God, we need you to remove our sin. All throughout Old Testament, you will see um, there are moments where uh, sometimes tribes or families or clans, uh, sometimes the entire nation of Israel, they would assemble together in in a solemn moment. And they would give a a prayer to the Father which was either confessing their sin before God or they would cry out to God in worship or in their desperate need of God to rescue them. You you definitely see this in the book of Judges as God raises up judges against the nation to judge them. And and they, they come to a place of repentance. They corporately come together and they say, God, we have blown it corporately. And we as a nation, we are all saying the same thing. We're all saying the same thing, God, we desperately need you. And so this isn't a a new or a strange concept to the Christian faith, okay? It's it's deeply rooted in our Christian faith. And so in the early church, in the the first, you know, two, three hundred years of the church, it's important for us to understand that that the people didn't have a Bible in the way that you have a Bible today. They didn't have a Bible like that, okay? Okay. They basically had these letters that were written, you may have the book of Ephesians, they had a letter to the Ephesian church. And so these letters would circulate, uh, I mean, across nations, they would circulate these letters and the apostles would go and they would teach and they would do all these things but what they were finding is that sometimes when people would get the letter they would as they were instructing the congregation they would they would misapply they would misinterpret what the apostles were actually trying to say and so you had all these splinters of the Christian faith going in weird theological directions believing all kind of different things that were that were just bizarre and so what began to happen in the first couple of hundred years is that the the, the people of God would, would join together and they would develop these things that we call the creeds. Okay. You've heard of the apostles' creed, uh, the creed of Nicaea. Um, these creeds were developed, which are basically just, you know, they're more like highlights of all of scripture. They're, they're the most fundamental doctrinal statements of our core beliefs but they're kind of truncated, they're they're designed. We believe this and we believe that and we believe this. And what they would do, they would take these creeds that were memorable and they would impart them to the people so they would have something digestible so that they could continue to develop and grow and stay on the right track regarding faith. Now, before we get into talking about all this, I wanna wanna make something incredibly clear. I know you've heard pastors say this before, but I wanna remind you in case you're a guest here today. We do not look at the creeds in the same way that we look at the scriptures, okay? Uh, Scripture is inerrant. It is inspired by the Spirit of God. The creeds are not. The creeds are a supplement. They are a tool. They they endorse scripture, but that is what they do. They affirm scripture. They are not scripture. So we've got to make sure that the creeds have their place. We've got to make sure that we understand that scripture supersedes all these things, but the creeds are helpful. The creeds are tools, especially again in the New Testament church when they didn't have a Bible that they could pick up and read and these tools would strengthen and they would solidify what people believe. And so today I want to take the last little bit of our time and I want to talk to us about the importance of us as the body of Christ and and I want to talk to us about here at Christian Life Church. And I wanna talk to you about the importance of us saying the same thing that scripture says, saying the same thing that the creeds say, and saying the same thing that each other says. It's so vitally important that every local church be saying the same thing about what they believe. And I'm not talking about you know, these, you know, these tier three doctrines about you know, should, should the pastor wear jeans in the pulpit. I'm not talking about that stuff. That's opinion, that's perspective. Nobody cares about that. I'm talking about the most fundamental core issues of our faith. It is so vitally important that we are saying the same thing, that we're on the same page, that we believe the same thing so that we as a body can continue to grow and to develop in those things. Otherwise, what you have is a church that is just going in all kind of different directions. That's why I thank God that pastors doing this this, this series of sermons on the great words of the Christian faith. They are binding us together so that we are speaking the same language. And so I want to talk to us about the importance of confession when it comes to the Scripture and, and the creeds. Number one in your notes, the first part says confessing Scripture and creed keeps us settled in the kingdom of God, not Babylon. You realize that not only for all of Christian history, but all of Judaism, the people of God have always identified themselves as counterculture. The people of God have always reminded themselves that though they live in this world they are not of this world if you go back to the 10 commandments man an incredible moment where the god creator comes down and meets with moses and he gives moses this this moral law these 10 uh these 10 rules to live by it's things like don't steal and don't kill and don't commit adultery and don't, you know, covet. It's, it's all these things that make so much sense. But at a certain point in, in this listing, the Lord steps back and he throws something in there and he says, oh, and also, I want you to remember the Sabbath day and I want you to keep it holy. And you take a step back and you say, is that, is that, is that a moral thing? I mean, is, is that ethical? Like, where, where does that fit into all these kind of things But as you read and as you study, as you begin to realize what God was trying to do in that moment was God was trying to create a culture of people that were different than the culture of the world. He was saying, listen, you remember when you came out of Egypt, when I brought you out of Egypt into this promised land? I want you to remember that. And so I'm going to tell you, you need to keep the Sabbath day holy because I am giving you the gift of rest where Egypt and the gods of Egypt never would give you rest. And so I want you to understand that you are in a culture, but I'm trying to create a culture that's different than the culture that surrounds you. You see this time and time again throughout, you know, all throughout Scripture. Daniel, the Hebrew boys, I mean, just on and on again, you see this. And the reason that you see the people of God continuously being counterculture, creating their own culture within the scope of the rest of the world is, is this. Because they understood that we are simply ambassadors in this world. Do you, do you believe that? We are simply travelers. The Bible says we're aliens, we're ambassadors, we're sojourners. We're just passing through. This life in which we live, this is not our home. C.S. Lewis would say it like this. He'd say, listen, along the journey to heaven, there are a lot of stops and there are a lot of places that you will be able to rest and and get reprieve. and those are good, but don't mistake that for your real home. This is not our world. And all I'm trying to communicate today is that there needs to be a confession that is greater than the culture of this planet. Listen to me. I understand that there is a place for politics. I understand that. It's way back over there. And I understand there's a place for media. And I understand there's a place for culture. I understand all of that. And we as the church are inundated with these things. But I want to remind us that we are called to be a people who live in this world surrounded by the culture, but we are not people of the culture. We are counter- Our confession is not to say what the media says or our favorite politician says or to say what our influencers say. Our confession is what Jesus says. And until the church in America gets that right, it ain't gonna be good. I'm just telling you, it's not gonna be good. We are going to continue to go down a road that we don't want to go down because we're speaking the language of Babylon instead of speaking the language of the kingdom. And I I, I just gotta be honest with you, I don't think there's a pastor on our staff or an elder at our church, I I really don't think there are people that that are committed to this church, Christian life, that have any interest whatsoever in trying to build the kingdom of God off the language of this world. There's no interest, there's no interest at all. We are a distinct people, we are counterculture, and you say, yes, Corey, but we have to love the world. Yeah! You'd better love the world. Jesus said, as a matter of fact, the way that people will know you're my disciples is because of your love. Yeah. So we'd better love people. We'd better break our backs to be empathetic and compassionate and understanding and not judgmental. Yeah. We'd better break our backs to do that. But at the end of the day, listen to me say this. Jesus said, look, I am all those things. Christ encompasses all truth and all compassion and all love. He is defined by the word love. God is love, the Apostle John would say. But listen to also what Jesus said. He said, they hated me. And they're going to hate you. And you are naive to think that you can walk in two worlds and win both camps. No. There's a distinction of who we are. And we must be counterculture. Confessing the scripture and the creeds helps us to stay settled in the kingdom of God, to be reminded of who we are and whose we are and the beliefs that we hold to. Number two, confession, confessing scripture and creed keeps us anchored in truth. One of the primary reasons that the creeds were developed was to preserve pure doctrine. The developers wanted to make sure that the church, the global church, the universal church, they needed to make sure that we are saying the same thing about the most important things. We need to homologeo. we need to be on the same page in all of these type of things. In the early 300s, there was, a, um, there was a priest out of Libya. His name was Arius. And Constantine was the, the emperor. And Constantine, just for a little bit of historical context, um, it, was, it was very important for Constantine to keep Christianity together because Christianity had just blossomed. And if there was any type of division, it was, it was going to not be, it wasn't going to go well politically for Constantine. So Constantine saw that Arius was uh, teaching something and, and the teaching was widespread. It was, it was dividing the church and it was widespread. And what Arius was teaching was this. He was teaching a theology that said, Jesus, although he is not man, he is also not God. Okay, we call it the Superman heresy. This is why. Why? Because Arius would teach that Jesus was more than man, but he was less than God. Now, Jesus may have been the the first creation of God eons ago, but he was still created by the Father. This is what Arius was teaching. It was going spread. So so Constantine calls together and he says, listen, we've got to settle this. We've got to figure out which direction the universal church is going. in. so he called for this council at a place called Nicaea. And so, you know, more than 300 bishops gathered together and, and maybe even, even hundreds more of spectators as these men duke out what we really believe. On the other side of the aisle, you had a guy by the name of Athanasius. And Athanasius did not believe the same thing that Arius believed. Athanasius believed that Jesus is God. He did not believe that Jesus is a created being, that Jesus became God, but Jesus has always been God. Yeah. Yeah. Tensions rose and there's arguments for days and, and, and it's just so, it's, it's fever pitch, it's, it's not going well. As a matter of fact, uh, we find, uh, you remember St. Nicholas? You know who St. Nick is, right? We, we, you know, dubbed Santa Claus after him. History would say, and there's some speculation, but most of church history would say that as Nicholas contended with Arius, he got so furious and so frustrated at one point, he punched Arius in the face. I want you to imagine for a minute. Hey, Christian life, we're going to have a membership meeting, all church council. We're going to ask you to come. we got some very important issues. And then a fist fight breaks. I mean, it was absolutely bonkers. But listen to me, I'm going to say this. You can trash St. Nicholas. I mean, Santa Claus punched a guy. You can trash him all you want to. But let me say this. His backbone was a whole lot stiffer than most Christians in the Western parts of the world. He was willing to stand to defend. And so there was all this, all this upheaval, all this kind of stuff. At the end of it, Athanasius had won the day. They, they took a vote, like 318 against five. Only five people descended. And this, out of this moment, was birthed what we call the Nicene Creed. This is, it's in your bulletin. You can look later in your notes. Um, but, But this is what I want you to notice about the Nicene Creed. As it's being built out, what I want you to notice is this. How much attention that they give to the deity of Jesus. Time and time again, he says, listen, Jesus, God of God, light of light, not light and then made a part of light. He said, no, this is light from light. Jesus and the Father are of the same substance, they're the same thing. Arius was saying something close to what Athanasius was saying, but it wasn't the same thing. And listen to me. I want to I I just remind us of this. The reason that we need types of confessions like the creeds and we need to have scripture heard and we need to confess scripture, part of the reason of that is because we have false teachers today. Listen to me. Don't, please don't be naive and think that, This type of thing doesn't exist. Prophetically, the apostles would say it time and time again. Peter said this. He said, there will be false teachers among you. Jesus said, watch out for false prophets. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies and even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Listen, this is the blessing and the curse of technology in modern America. I'm going to tell you this. I don't know what would have happened to our church through the pandemic if it were not for technology. I thank God for, I I genuinely give thanks to God for technology. There's so many benefits. There's so much that is better about our world because of the use of technology. But I promise you this, that it comes with a price. There was a curse attached to technology from the pandemic. And and let me me just kind of unpack this a little bit. For as much as a, of, of a gift as it is that the church was able to stay home and still experience church online, and, and even today we have people who aren't well and who are able to do that and all of those kind of things, and those are so important. Those are so incredible. The curse of that same thing is simply this. Now we have Christians that are not as committed to a local body of believers as they once were. Okay, And I know that is like, some of you guys are like cringing right now. You're like, I cannot believe he said that. Okay, I'm not trying to be difficult or, or ugly by any stretch. I realize that there are very valid reasons that, that people stay home and watch. Sure, I understand that and I honor that. But I'm just saying this, that it's created a culture, not, not a Christian life, in, in the West, in the country, in the nation, in other nations, where people are less committed to a body of believers that homo lega, that say the same thing about what they believe. And now all of a sudden we've got podcasts and we've got streams and we've got dozens, literally dozens of voices coming through our ear canals week in and week out, and they're teaching things that are all over the place. And I'll tell you, some of them are great. Some of, them, A lot of them are better than what you're hearing this morning, okay? But I'm just saying that there's some that are a lot worse. And I think that we have to be a people that are wise as serpents, and harmless as doves. We've got to crank up the discernment meter yeah. and when we hear things that are not homo legaeo, yeah. we've gotta have the discipline to say so yeah. and to turn it off. And listen to me, I'm not talking about immature teaching. That's not what, uh, you know, a couple of Wednesday nights ago I had to go through this whole thing, um, but but I'm not talking about a person, a man or a woman who stand behind a pulpit and they are doing their best to honor Jesus and to teach and, and, and they just haven't matured in their theology or their doctrine or their, their teaching gift. I'm not talking about that. Listen, I, I uh, my family and I were, were, in, were staying in Columbia, we're staying in Christian Life, but but we moved from locations. And a couple of weeks ago, we were, we were uh, packing things up from our house. It's amazing what you can accumulate in 10 years. Um, and I came across this box that was filled with, my sermons for the last 20 years. And I was like, oh, I remember that sermon, I re, you know, and, and I, I saw a cassette tape. You remember what that was? <laughs> this was before CDs or DVDs or, you know, anything digital. And I picked up the tape, and it was the first sermon I ever preached on a Sunday in the year 2000. It was on my birthday in the year 2000. And I looked at that and I was flooded with so much gratitude and thankfulness. And in the same breath, I said, dear God, I have to destroy this thing. <laughs> Babe, is there an incinerator anywhere? I'm like pulling the you know, tape out, I'm like, I don't, I don't wanna listen to this and I for sure don't want anybody else to be exposed to this. And it, it wasn't because I was teaching false doctrine. It wasn't because I was going weird. It wasn't anything like that. It was the fact that I wasn't developed theologically and doctrinally, and I didn't understand some things that I would later understand as I matured. I'm not talking about people like that. We need to be gracious for young pastors. We need to encourage them and bring, you know, come alongside them and mentor them. How else do you think they're going to get on the right road? We got to do that well instead of just criticizing Okay, so we've got to mentor and shape the next generations. I'm talking about people that are studied, that understand truth and rebel against it and teach others to do the same. That's what I'm talking about. And I'm telling you that I have seen throughout the years, over the past 20 years of ministry, I have seen men and women who began so well and they taught so well and they, they would intrigue the soul and God is doing something through them. And then all of a sudden at a certain point in the ministry, they begin to question the most core doctrines of what we believe. And that's always how it begins. It always begins with a question. It begins with one question, but this is the scary part. If they have already come to a place where they are willing to vocalize their question, their heart is already way far ahead of their question. And all I'm saying is this, is that we need to be a people anchored in the truth of God's word. We need to homo the same thing. We need to say the same thing about what we believe about our Christian faith, especially when it comes to the corest of all doctrines. I'm telling you right now that there are people who have massive platforms of influence. And listen to me, I'm not trying to get on a witch hunt, right? That's not, that's not my heart. That's not what I want but I do want us to understand the reality that there is false teaching. Listen to me. Not only is it questioning the blood atonement of Christ, but it's making nuances and exceptions for abortion. It's erasing hell from scripture. It's it's bringing into question core fundamental things. And you say, man, I just don't know if I believe that. Well, let me tell you what, a couple of years ago in 2020, there was a nationwide survey of thousands of evangelical, self-proclaimed evangelical Christians. They answered a question that astounded me when I saw the results. And they basically said this, more than a third in the United States, more than a third of people who say that they are evangelical Christians, more than a third of them agree with the statement that Jesus was a good teacher, but Jesus was not God. I'm not talking about a study 20 years ago. I'm not talking about something in obscurity where four people were surveyed. Thousands of evangelical, listen to me, they would have been on the same page as Arius. They would have said, Jesus, yeah, he's more than man, but he's less than God. That is heresy. And a third, a third of evangelical Christians believe that? Listen to me, we can't be mean and we can't, we can't be difficult to get along with, but we gotta knuckle up and we gotta double down on what we believe. And we gotta make sure that the people that we're walking with are saying the same thing about those things that we believe. Moms and dads, I say this with all the kindness and love in my heart, I want you so desperately to be prayerful as your children go off to university. There are universities that are emasculating the gospel. And listen to me, I'm not just talking about secular universities. There are self-proclaimed Christian universities that are questioning the inerrancy of scripture. They're questioning the divinity of Christ. They're changing verbiage to make paul say things that paul never intended to say but they're things that they wanted paul to say listen to me i'm all about education i love it i'm I'm in a doctoral program right now it's sucking the life out of me but i love it (laughs) i'm all about i think we should be so knowledgeable of what we believe that's what i'm talking about today we need to know we need to be educated we need to invest in what we believe but i'm telling you we got to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves if not, we may find ourselves homo with the wrong set of people. We need to be in a totally different camp. And so I just want to remind us that even if teachings are close, if they're not the same, it's not the same. You realize that between Arius and Athanasius, there was one fraction of a syllable different in their argument. You understand that? It was the difference between mo, the syllable mo, and moi. That was the only difference. It was a long Greek word. The only difference, lettering, pronunciation, all this stuff, the only difference was the difference between mo and moi. It was close. Man, they were so close. But it wasn't the same. And we need to be cautious that we don't step in the same traps that other people have before us. Number three is this, confessing scripture and creed keeps us focused on Jesus as Lord. I wanna remind you that every generation has a movement that's aimed at dismantling Jesus. Whether it be the resurrection or the virgin birth or the miracles that he did, um, there is always a movement to take away from who Christ is. And when we read the creeds, when we read the scripture, we're reminded that Jesus is not only God, but he is our Lord. And we need to be reminded of that. Number four, confessing sin, or, yep, that's good too, confessing scripture and creed keeps our actions moving forward. James, the brother of Jesus, this is what he said. He'd say, faith without works is dead, right? Right? So what he's ultimately saying, he's saying, listen, you can know the right stuff and you can even believe the right stuff, okay? But if it doesn't affect your life, if there's not repentance and sanctification, like growth and holiness, then your faith is really dead. And so when we confess scripture, when we confess the creeds, it's a reminder for us that, you know, Christian knowledge is good, but it's never sufficient. It's never enough right? Uh, there must be action that's tied to it, and again, this isn't new. Uh, Judaism, if, if you were to become a Jew, what did you have to do outwardly? You, you had to get circumcised, right? Drop them, boys. You know, if you want to be a Jew, this is what you got to do, okay? The Christian faith, when somebody comes to faith in Christ, what is the first step of obedience? An outward action of water baptism. For later communion, you know, it's all these things. It's this idea that we can believe all the good things and know all the good things in our heart. And you know what? You'll go to heaven if there's no action. I I believe that with all of my heart. But I'm saying this, what the scripture and creeds remind us of is that it's not okay to be stagnant. There is a spiritual journey. There's a trajectory that God has for us, and we need to continue to step into it. Number five, confessing scripture and creed keeps our souls strengthened. It's like I said earlier with, with Joy and I, when, when, when we said the same thing, when we confessed our love and we said the same thing, there was something that happened. I, I, and I can't articulate it. I can't define it. But something emotionally, maybe supernatural, I'm not really sure, something happened that, that shifted our relationship. And what What we believe, this is what what Paul is kind of alluding to in Romans 10, this is what he says. He says, faith comes from hearing the Word of God. So this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, something happens when you hear the Word of God. When the Word of God is verbally spoken, something supernatural transpires And a person comes to faith in Christ by that. And what I'm building the case for is that even after we come to faith in Christ, when the word of God is spoken, something happens in our souls. There's conviction. There's comfort. There's strengthening. There's a solidification. Something is happening in our spirit that keeps our souls strong. And so this is why it's important, not only individually, But corporately, we are all saying and confessing the same thing. And then finally, number six is this. Confessing scripture and creed keeps our Christian community bonded. I know this goes off a little bit in a different direction, but I I want you to to stay with me. Listen to what William Hole, a, a great theologian, this is what he wrote about confession. He said, confession means to join oneself to a community by agreeing with its corporate testimony. So this is what Hole is saying. He's saying confession means to join oneself to a community by homo with everybody else in the corporation. He says confession refers to the process by which salvation is genuinely socialized in the shared experience of the group. So what Hull is saying is this. He's saying, listen, when you confess scripture, when you recite creeds, yes, individually, there is something that's strengthened between you and the Spirit of God. There's something that, that transpires in the supernatural realm. But this is further what he says. He says, but it's more than that. He says it's, it's not just an individual strengthening that happens. It's a corporate strengthening. That happens. He's saying there's something powerful when we homo legeo about all the core things that we believe and hold so dearly. I thought this morning, I asked Pastor Glenn, I read this by him last week and he was okay with it. By the way, if you didn't agree with anything or you want to talk to me about that, email me at glenn at clcolumbia.com. Um, <laughs> He'll be, I'll be glad to uh, answer. Um, When it comes to the bonding of the Christian community, it's something that could probably be taught by people better than me, okay? And, but I thought this morning as uh, I I, I prayed through things over the past week or so, I thought "This this isn't a topic that I wanna teach. This is a topic that I wanna help the church experience. And so, I know this is going to be, like, super uncomfortable for some people, okay? I'm not going to ask you to, like, do cartwheels or, like, you know, whatever. But I'm saying this is kind of out of the norm for for the way that we do church at Christian Life. But I asked Pastor Glenn uh, last week if he would uh, have the team lead us in a song. The song is a song from from Hillsong Church in, in Australia, but... The song is called I Believe, but the subtitle of the song is called The Creed. And basically what they did is they took the Nicene Creed and they kind of, um, you know, they kind of made their own version of it, which is still, I mean, it's very, it's valid. Okay. It's, It's not technically a creed, but it's, it aligns with everything that we believe. And they created this song. And this morning, what, what I want us to do is I want us to experience what I'm trying to communicate. And I've been praying, Lord, I just, you know, I I do want people. I do want people to feel the connectedness with the Holy Spirit. I I want that. I want their souls to be strengthened. I want that. But Lord, as much as that, I want our people to, to feel, to sense the strengthening within the body, within the family of believers. I want our people that may sit over here and may never talk to people over here, which, by the way, it's, it's, you know, it's not because of bad breath or anything. It, this is a big church. You know, We've got 1,000 people here, and you know, it's just hard to get to know everybody. But this is my hope. This is my prayer. My prayer is that somebody that, that sits over here that has never spoken to a person over there, when they get out there, when they look each other in the eye, there's just some type of connectedness that's inexplicable. There's some type of bonding that's happened in the spirit. There's something supernatural that is bonding us together, and we're no longer, uh, you know, we don't just classify ourselves as a church, which is an incredibly distinct honor, but we now classify ourselves as a true spiritual family, and we are bonded together in a way that we've never been bonded before, and so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me. And again, uh, I've asked the team to kind of lead us in the song. This is what I want to ask. As the words of the song are, are sung, these are many of the core doctrines of what we believe, okay? And what I like is, honestly, I love for us to sing together, to lift our voices, not just because we're singing a song, but because we're making a confession. We're making a declaration about that which we believe, and not just individually, but as a family, And as we do that, I believe the Spirit of God is just gonna touch us in a special way. That's what I've been praying for, at least. And so I'm gonna ask you this morning uh, to, I'm gonna ask you to sing. That's the uncomfortable part, right? And I wanna tell you what, I am a horrible singer. You can ask my wife, she will gladly tell you, okay? But I'm gonna tell you what, during worship, I don't care. I don't care what you think about how I sing. I don't care, okay? I'm singing for an audience of one, and I just want my heart to connect. Maybe you're like, dude, I'm not doing that. That's okay. That, I mean, that's between you and Jesus. But this morning, for those who are willing to come into agreement with our confessions, many of our confessions of core doctrines, I'm gonna ask you just to lift your voice and let's sing together. Afterwards, Pastor Justin's gonna come and close the service. Thank you so much for being here this morning. We love you.
1: If you have a need today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the one who forgives your sins, the one who grants you eternal life and wants to have a relationship with you, I encourage you to speak with one of our altar teams this morning. They'll know how to pray with you. They'll be able to answer your questions, and you can leave here today knowing that your sins are forgiven and that you're right with God our Father, with Jesus His Son, and with the Holy Spirit. You have a special need you need healing in your body there's a financial issue in your life maybe you're going through a tough time in your family and you need encouragement you need someone to kind of call you up and speak the Word of God over you I encourage you to come this morning if you're watching online we have people waiting to pray with you over the phone there should be a number on your screen that you can call right now and they'll be glad to talk with you and pray with you this morning Isn't it good to be able to say the same thing God says about our sin, about our standing with Him, and about our spiritual family that we belong to? Let's just thank Him for that right now. Father, we thank You for the privilege of being a part of this spiritual family, being a part of the body of Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would go forward from this day valuing the agreement that we have with You, teach us to say the same thing that you say about our sin, about our salvation, and about our community. Father, we love you, and we ask that you continue to move in this service. We thank you for those that are coming forward for prayer, that you'll bring healing, you'll bring salvation, you'll bring help, you'll bring provision on many different levels. Lord, for those who are calling in even now, I pray that as those prayer team members pray with them over the phone, there'd be bondages broken, there'd be demonic spirits cast out, Lord, there'd be deliverance, there'd be an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, you work in ways that we cannot fathom or imagine at times. So we're releasing ourselves to you and saying, have your way, Holy Spirit. Continue to build us up in our most holy faith. And may we never forget the doctrines that you handed down to the church once and for all. Lord, may we latch on to those things and may we say them together and build a culture that pleases you here at Christian Life. Thank you for all that you're doing in this moment and in the moments to come. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for joining us online for our service. We encourage you to be with us Wednesday night. Or tonight in life groups or next Sunday, Lord willing, have a great week. We love you. Prayer is open in the front if you'd like to receive prayer this morning.